Abolition. Abolition. When I was a young public defender, I had a client, a homeless person, looking at one to two years in jail because it's his third or fourth or fifth retail theft. And the last time it was ever ready batteries, and this time it's food, right? One to two years in jail. What I saw was the whole bunch of this, we told you not to do this last time, as if that is an intelligent solution to what is happening here, which is obviously a, you know, a confluence of poverty, mental health issues, simple hunger. The policy was essentially lock them up, lock more of them up, lock them up for longer. That is what you saw for 30 years, day after day after day after day after day. That's what you saw. You hit 55, 56 years of age, and you see that the whole time the system was getting worse. Mass incarceration is winning. We gotta go. The DA is the most powerful player, and the criminal justice system and the district attorney's office broke the system. So I think the DA might be able to fix it. Let's go. That's the struggle of a man working on the chain. That's the trouble of a man working on the chain. Imagine being poor in the South after your freedom. No jobs available, got you begging and pleading. Please come and get you and lock you up for no reason. Re-enslaved, but they call that convict leaving. Manual labor was needed to plant and harvest crops. Build highways, railroads, it's time to open shop. Companies paid for labor from the state, which was convicts. It was harmless, in fact, the ones they targeted black. That's the struggle of a man working on the chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the trouble of a man Working on the chain Gang was really worse than slavery Why? Cause with convict leasing No one even cared if you died With slavery If you passed away They'll lose their investment With convict leasing They'll just replace you When death hits Ages 14 to 70 They will work heavily Six days a week From dust to dawn Little food to carry on Some children as young as Eight years old Was enslaved Working hard with the grown up Strapped to a ball and chain That's the struggle of a man Working on the chain, yeah, yeah. That's the trouble of a man working on the chain. There was an increased need for infrastructure to move goods. Rail system, highways, demand steadily coming. The good roads movement secured federal funding. More shoveling, grading, leveling, digging, they dug in. Enslaved blacks built the wealth for the country again. Farmers could transport crops to the market and then manufacturers could ship goods across country. Travel easy now. Even today they still work and may give them pennies. Wow. That's the struggle of a man working on the chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the trouble of a man working on the chain. That's the struggle of a man working on the chain. That's the struggle of a man working on the chain.
Abolition Today. That was a clip of Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner from the documentary that just came out entitled Philly DA, followed by Chaos, K.O., featuring Jay Morris, Convict Leeson. Man, they was killing. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Max Parthas. Today I am riding solo. Brother Yusuf Hassan is on the road doing things you do when you're on the road. So I'm here on my own today. Um, I guess I'll go into some of the things that I've uh, been a part of this week uh, before we get into our main theme and stories. But first I want to give a shout out uh, to the artists from that song, Kale featuring Jay Morris, Convict Leasing. Uh, that was awesome. Here in Abolition Today, you're always going to find something really fabulous like that, especially at the start of the program. Back in the day, I was taught by some of the best about how to run a show. And they uh, told me, Max, you know, this is Queen Sheba. Shout out to Queen Sheba. She said, Max, you don't let your audience train you, you train your audience. So in order to do that, and what she mean was to get people to come in on time. In order to do that, I always throw out some fire right at the beginning. So if you didn't get here on time, you missed something. Uh, it's been a heck of a week. Just a couple of days ago, uh, I was blessed to be part of a, to be able to witness a gathering of nearly 80 people representing as many organizations all across America as they were introduced uh, to the federal amendment uh, efforts that we're making in the Abolish Slavery National Network to bring in a 28th Amendment that will counter the exception clause of the 13th Amendment, which allows, of course, for legalized slavery if you're convicted of any kind of a crime. Uh, that was awesome to see. They had a wonderful presentation. Shout out to uh, my peoples over at ASNN. Y'all put on a good show. And uh, I'm sure everybody there is going to be on board when the dust clears. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about abolishing slavery all across the country and internationally these days. As I said last week, news reports coming out in Australia and Taiwan making the headlines about states here in the United States that are abolishing slavery. Uh, so the word is definitely get, <clears throat> getting out there, especially in the halls of legislation with so many senators speaking on this and Congress people and state representatives, it has become the buzz within the uh, political communities. Uh, we expect, you know, at some point where this is going to be the top issue. I mean, once people start realizing that this is real slavery, like for real, for real slavery, where they're hunting you legally, capturing you, sometimes killing you or maiming you, uh, and then all of this for profit and control, mind you, <clears throat> and then putting you into the most horrible conditions in these cages where they're violating Eighth Amendment rights, Sixth Amendment rights, Fourth Amendment, and all your constitutional rights are being violated, and you're thrown into these cages uh, where you can't afford to get out, where you don't get legal representation, and then you're uh, 
railroaded into plea bargains 95% of the time to end up pleading guilty to things you potentially didn't even do in order not to spend the rest of your life in prison. So, yeah, this is real slavery we're talking about legally and codified right there in our national constitution, as well as in 26 uh, state constitutions. The ASNN has been working really hard to get rid of those. So far, we've gotten three states that have abolished slavery without an exception. Uh, We have a total of four because Rhode Island was the first, but they did theirs in the 1850s. They were the first ones to have no exception at all. Unfortunately, they haven't had the opportunity to exploit that because I don't think they ever understood what goal they were sitting on. So, uh, yeah, four states now. And then we've got like a dozen states, um, especially now with Nevada just getting their bill out. Uh, so we've got a dozen states that have legislation set up for 21, 22, and 23 now. So for the next three years, we already have legislation for a dozen states. And they're organizing as many as 15 other states to do the same. Uh, they're looking for legislators, uh, brave people, uh, willing to sponsor a bill that would either end slavery in that state or put in anti-slavery language to prevent it from being practiced the 13th Amendment. All right, let me see if I got my caller on. 201. There you go. Uh, I'm expecting some company, so let me bring them in here today because we're going to have a good discussion about another friend. Uh, Brother Sean Darling, is that you? Sean, your mic is open. Uh, sorry, I forgot to unmute myself. How are you doing, Max? Hey, peace, brother. Welcome to Abolition Today. Um, Sean Darling is going to join me today for a little conversation about what we're going to listen to in the coming minutes. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe about three weeks ago, when we met with Joy, James, was it, Sean? Yeah, I think it's been a couple of weeks, yeah. Yeah, about three weeks ago, we met with uh, Dr. Joy James, who is a, uh, I guess they're called new abolitionists. <laughs> and uh, she spoke with us about slavery abolition versus prison abolition and what the efforts we're trying to uh, achieve are, uh, what our goals are, what's driving us, you know, the things that we care about and we're trying to accomplish. And uh, she was a, a very good listening ear, I would say. She definitely seemed to be on board. And then recently she's done a few uh, appearances and lectures. And mm-hmm. one she did not too long ago uh, kind of blew my mind, man, because the way she did it was so smooth, Sean. <laughs> First of all, let me, uh, yes. let me allow you a minute to introduce yourself to the audience. As far as me? Yes. Tell them a little about yourself. So um, I'm a little bit recent to the slavery abolitionist cause. I've been studying abolition as far as the um, death penalty um, for quite a while. So that's how I got um, involved in abolition. And then I realized um, um, how it was connected to different um, political ideologies and how that um, drew back to slavery. Um, among other things, and um, definitely the last few years listening to you and Yusuf and other people, um, they've kind of been able to fill in <laughs> quite a bit of the blanks, kind of like jarring a, a more nuanced picture, you know, kind of like you see a little bit, and then you see a little more, and then you kind of see <laughs> quite a bit. So, um, yeah, I've, that's kind of my background in um, organizing you, in Maine. You um, don't, we don't have a philosopher, right? 
Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I um I studied um philosophy um, as an undergraduate in Maine. So um definitely um learned some critical thinking skills um um with that. So you definitely see a lot of the logical fallacies that you point out. <laughs> <laughs> For real, and I got a poster of logical yep. fallacies right over my desk now, courtesy of Sharon Smith. So she got me a big poster with uh, all the common logical fallacies. So it's right over my head. I can look up and go, "That's the BS they're pulling on me right now." Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. Yeah, definitely uh, a lot of ad hominem stuff happening. But that's, what, you, you know, were uh, instrumental in uh, introducing me. Uh, and Yusuf to Dr. James, and I definitely appreciate that, as well as introducing us to the Queen Mother Beneath. Uh, so you're oh, yeah, kind of a yeah. human hyperlink right now, <laughs> bringing people together, yeah, right? Yeah, so um, it kind of all started, interestingly enough, it all kind of started, I should say coincidentally enough, in 1998 when I was um, working on a, a thesis on capital punishment, and as you know, that's when kind of critical resistance was happening, um, and also when the international criminal court was being established um which we know in the past week they've been getting well this our country's been getting some heat <laughs> as they should you know um from the international community you know that dates back you know they first you know were were investigating all these african countries because they quote unquote you know were asking them to or ignoring you know more powerful nations so um so it went from that to um to reparations, back to abolition, <laughs> realizing, as you put it, that we can't really have a meaningful reparations until we stop the crime. So, um, yeah, I've been kind of involved in this stuff for a while, but trying to be a little, little more razor or laser focused recently because of seeing exactly how bad it is and exactly how things are interconnected, you know, that aren't. Well, you know, aren't as you already. As you know, we're putting together a academic caucus uh, for the yes. slavery abolitionist cause, and we've got quite mm-hmm. a few really powerful voices on board. And it looks like Dr. James is one of them right now. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about her, if you're listening. Joy James is Ebenezer Fitch Professor of Humanities at Williams College. She's the editor of several anthologies on politics and incarceration, including the new abolitionists and imprisoned intellectuals. Her most recent book is Seeking the Beloved Community. And what we're going to play is a clip from the Mellon Sawyer Seminary on Contemporary Political Struggle, Abolition, and Communism. It's courtesy of UC Davis Humanities Institute, and the discussion provides an opportunity, they say, for scholars, organizers to consider the overlaps and consonances, the necessary and perspective relations between abolition and communism, as well as the potential lacks thereof. Wow, necessary between abolition and communism? Just to say off the bat, we are not prison abolitionists here. We are not promoting the prison abolitionist cause. We are slavery abolitionists. There's a really big difference. But let's listen to part one. And I've called this rebel intellectuals. During her discussion, you'll understand why. So we'll listen, Sean, and then we'll come back. We'll have some commentary. Sounds good. Abolition. Abolition. And last, we have Joy Jane. Thank you. And thank you all for those very important interventions. So I'm going to do something maybe a little different. I'm going to start with a poem from Lucille Clifton. 
a Black poet, author, educator, and parent, who I also identify as a captive maternal. The title of the poem is New Bones. We will wear new bones again. We will leave these rainy days, break out through another mouth into sun and honey time. Worlds buzz over us like bees. We be splendid in new bones. Other people think they know how long life is, how strong life is. We know. So, you know, Clifton poetry, Black culture, at least for me, is a source of culture that provides comfort, but also a reawakening in the imagination of what we've inherited. I mean, what we seek are new bones or new structures. And I think that's why we're having this conversation about abolitionism and communism, guided and structured by the important historical information that has been put on the table by political theory to keep things relevant, by the willingness to have open dialogue, discourse, and hopefully debate, but also the desperate need for new bones that can rework what we've inherited in terms of political struggle. So I see this discussion, or at least my contribution to it, about abolitionism and communism as um, not being able to go anywhere unless I talk about revolutionary struggle. And if I talk about revolutionary struggle as a practice, then I have to contend with the fact of where I'm employed, you know, even though I organize, how that employment sector structures my speech and my thought processes, and who has their hands on the lever, you know, of hegemony in terms of political ideology that even defines these terms. You know, what is abolitionism in the 21st century? What is Marxism? Uh, Frank Chapman has a book out that just came out a month ago, Marxist Leninist Perspectives on Black Liberation and Socialism. He is the executive director of the National Alliance for against, sorry, not for, against racism, political repression, which grew out of um, the organization that defended Angela Davis and continued doing legal work. But his new book that is out questions some of our academic assumptions about defining Marxism, about defining Black Marxism, right? And so as a former incarcerated person, as a Black communist of Black Marxism, I'm reading this text as part of our new bones, written by somebody in their 70s, somebody who organizes in Chicago, somebody who works with CFIST, which is a coalition to free people who were framed through a torture mechanism that reminds me of CIA offshore sites um, for false confessions, right? And it's this constant repetition of violence and dispossession that mandates that we have to wear new bones. But the question for me is where do we get them from? I am not convinced that the source of analyses unquestionably would come from academic sectors. I would say that in this moment, we have an, a serious class struggle going on um, in Black communities. And it's not just against Derek Chauvin. It's not a, just against white cops, right? It's, a, it's based on, I'm sorry, I just, 
I'm really exhausted like everybody else. So my effect might look like I'm laughing. I'm not really laughing. It's like an anger release mechanism. We cannot reach a clear definition because we do not recognize the intellectualism of the working class or the impoverished sectors. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. Right. That was uh, Dr. Joy James, Rebel Intellectuals. Sean? Yeah, it's, um, that really hits me hard. I've been following her work for quite a while, not as long as I was in college, but like, um, and she has consistently, um, I think back to 1993, talked about um, theory that is not rooted in the community is elitist, you know? So, um, yeah, she sees how the struggle is rooted in the community and how the academy really is a problem <laughs> towards, you know, collective liberation. Yes. She said a lot of things in there that caught my attention, but I, I had a memory that came back uh, when Harvard was suing, uh, the students were suing Harvard for their investments in for-profit prisons and charging them with supporting slavery. And I remember they mm-hmm. called uh, us in to do some testimony. So it was me as well as some brothers from the uh, Free Alabama movement at the time, uh, Kinetic mm-hmm. and Benu and uh, mm-hmm. also Ivan Kilgore out of California who's incarcerated. So it was all these incarcerated brothers who were activists and me. I was the only one that wasn't incarcerated. So I felt kind of honored. But when we got <laughs> there, <laughs> you know, they started talking about <laughs> prison abolition. And then they got to me and asked me, how do I feel when organizations try to co-op our message? <laughs> and I'm like, y'all doing it right? freaking now <laughs> like right now <laughs> right mm-hmm. we're all here talking about slavery abolition and you tell us about prison abolition and trying to re- change our narrative so it fits what you wanted to fit i was bothered mm-hmm. by that but she made me remember that so she was she started off with a poem of course by lucille clifton new bones and then showed yeah. how we need these new bones these new institutions like the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, like the Abolish Slavery National Network, that will really uh, look at this with a critical eye and address it in new ways. Um, Sean? I was going to say, um, that poem um, brought, um, um, I was say there was in the news recently, there was um, these universities have been getting into trouble, Princeton, and um, not, I guess not trouble, but beginning some bad publicity, um, for having the remains um, of two of the um, move bombs survivors, or not survivors, but two of the, um, the victims yeah, of the move bombing. Yeah, Tree Africa. Yeah. the other one, the girl's name, I forget it, but I know one of them was, was Tree Africa. Yeah, I'm wondering if that had anything to do with what she was invoking in that poem or not. But yeah, with this, the connections between universities owning people black people even after they're in the afterlife and like the whole notion of how this is connected to um, kind of like imperialist anthropology, you know, like you can probably go on and on and on about, you know, how deep this goes, you know, so. Um, this is just part one. We got two parts. I feel like what we just heard was the buildup because, you know, at the end, of course, she said, you can't even define this because you don't, ex- the, uh, basically the, rebel intellectuals so like the Ida B. Mm-hmm. Wells of the world, the uh, right. Frederick Douglasses of the world who don't come from your Ivy Leagues, but 
really have this thing understood and nailed down, like me <laughs> and Yusef and you, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like we're worthy mm-hmm. of being heard as well, and our opinions are valuable, and we don't talk about what we think. We're talking about what we know, which makes a whole lot of difference. Uh, but also, too, to, um, go ahead. Um, what she was saying specifically about Chicago, and um, we talked, um, I think, earlier this week about um, Haymarket Books, you know, like they're located in Chicago, and, like, they're really pushing this prison abolitionist narrative and, and almost seem like they're profiting from it because they're offering these, like, kind of beginner <laughs> prison abolitionist, abolitionist books, kit. Like, yeah, starter kit. Right. Literally, and, literally and none of kit, five for $50. I'm like, and this is in Chicago, like... So talking about misleading people and profiting off of people's, you know, exploitation, like, and I get they have their own narrative, but like when you, when you dig deeper, it just seems like, and she, that's what Dr. James was talking about. She was talking about the, like the class um, problem within, you know, um, African-American or black communities, you know, like they're profiting from black pain, you mm-hmm. know, and and posing as liberators, you know, right? And, and that's on. the key thing is that you're using terms like leading towards liberation and for liberation, but you're not talking about this Thirteenth Amendment at all. Like it don't even exist, as if you don't know it's there. And we all know it's there. You know, anybody who's studied mm-hmm. pretty prison abolition has obviously heard Angela Davis speak on the Thirteenth Amendment and the exception clause and the connection there. So they don't seem to pay any attention to that at all, and nor do they treat this as crimes against humanity. And that's our charges, crimes against humanity mm-hmm. that are occurring, that this is literal slavery and human trafficking practiced in our face every single day under the guise of a criminal justice system. And yes, there is some uh, people out there who, uh, I guess, have done the crimes that they are charged of, but the great, great vast majority of people being sent into jails, detention centers, and prisons are there for nonviolent, drug-related, poverty-related, addiction-related, or mental health-related issues. And we've broken mm-hmm. the numbers down here on abolition today a number of times, so people know exactly how many is in there for what. Um, it's also interesting um, how different words or um, slogans get circulated. You know, people can say the three words, I can't breathe which obviously are important, but also they can't say crimes against humanity, you know, and also, you know, George Floyd was also not just murdered, he was tortured, like some of the testimony, you know, for the medical examiner, like, was gruesome, but like, we witnessed not just a state execution, we witnessed someone being tortured, but we don't don't hear that language, what's that? And terrorism. Everybody who was a witness to that, including those of us who saw it vicariously through the film, are not have been terrorized by his actions. He did it in front well, yeah. of everybody on purpose. He tortured the man to death and terrorized mm-hmm. everybody around them using the other police who were there as his shields to block them from even trying to save this man's life. Mm-hmm. So she asked the question, what is abolitionism in the 21st century? And that really depends right. on who you ask because as we were discussing here, uh, prison abolitionists completely leave us out of the conversation and uh, mm-hmm. assume that they are the owners of the word abolition and <laughs> they define mm-hmm. what it is. It's a legal term that they turn into a philosophy now. Uh, so right. you know, before I say too much more, let's go ahead and listen to part two because part two was the lead up 
Uh, part one was the lead up. Part two is the mic drop. So let's go ahead and get into the mic. Okay. Drop. Awesome. We'll be we'll be right back. You're listening to Abolition Today here with Max Parsons and uh, my guest today, Sean Dollar. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. So, this puts me in a bit of a, of a bind as an academic. Like, based on what authority do I even define these terms if I work for, which I do, and I continue to work until I get retirement for a wealthy white corporation that's also called a college, right? And for state entities, you're working for the government. Like when I was at UT Austin, you're literally working for the state, right? So it's between the state corporation, the private corporation, the hegemonic way in which we instruct against, of course, repression, against, of course, reactionary, but our very ability to codify these terms and then distribute them has been monetized. And that is part of the struggle that's going on now. You know, what are the old bones that we've inherited? The Paris Commune of 1871, right? It's 150 years that Marx wrote about at the same time that Black Reconstruction was happening before we were betrayed and the terror of the Klan and the slaveocracy ruling class joined with the white capitalists of the North decided to, quote, re-enslave Black people, right? Through the convict prison lease system, through the 13th Amendment, supposed to give you emancipation, but legalizes slavery if you've been, you know, convicted of a crime. And so this is the site of tension right now. The academy will identify abolitionism as prison abolitionism. The people I know who are organizing, who have their children, literally tell me I've got two sons in doing a combined 37 years, they want slavery abolitionism. Mm -hmm. They want to focus on the 13th Amendment, but there's a debate. They do not have the tools or the networks to distribute their ideas. They have $7,000, literally, they told me two weeks ago. We already know we have movement millionaires right now, and there are distribution packets, but they happen within their own networks. This, for me, is the irony of abolitionism. You can say that Black women delivered democracy, and I just consider that more domestic labor, but, you know, I'll take it. It's better than a proto-fascist to Biden and Harris. But there is no democratic mechanism on the ground to talk to impoverished people, unhoused people. What is abolitionism to you? Like, there's another narrative of the political prisoners, and I'm so glad Sharice mentioned Mumia, but Mumia is inside and ill with COVID. Sundiata Okoli, I mean, there's cancer, there's COVID, not just for those with political risk-taking love, right? But for, I'll call them the civilians, right? Who are disposable through this illness, right? So if we were to engage in revolutionary struggle, who would control the terms of discourse? If revolutionary struggle was the mechanism for freedom and abolitionism and communism are methods, methodologies, vehicle, I I really don't care at this point, but going back to Milcar Cabral, the source, the return to the source. We have had so many people transition violently. Civilians, 16-year-old girls shot in the chest, 
people choked out. But well, we've also lost Patrice Lumumba. We lost Malcolm. We lost Martin. We lost George Jackson. However you feel about the revolutionaries, they have an agency that is not prevalent or dominant in academic abolitionism. It is sidelined. So where does the agency belong? And I don't want to, you know, overstep my time boundaries. But I don't see it being recognized from the impoverished. If they ask for accountability or receipts, if they want to know where multi-million dollar distributions go, you have to speak with them. This is what Cabral says in Return to the Source. You cannot speak for people. You have to speak with them. And once you speak with them, we collectively learn what we need. If capital is financing our freedom movements, they are not freedom movements. I mean, that's, I mean, like an eighth grader, get, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be snarky, but like, how do you get into a position with, you know, imperial capitalism that it is funding both sides of the table? And how is it that we focus so much on the domestic, which is very important, but if a coup is bad, and I'm glad we started off talking about January 6th, if a coup is bad for the United States, it cannot be good for Haiti. You can't have, you know, us deliver democracy to Biden and Harris and these promissory notes of an evolutionary track towards abolitionist freedom. If we cannot control the source of violence, and I'm not just talking about local cops, at ICE, at the FBI, at the CIA, at the State Department, AFRICOM. I mean, the U.S. is still an imperial militarized force destabilizing liberation movements across the globe. So we're in a quandary living in the heart of the empire, belly of the beast, whatever name you want to give it. And that quandary would only, the pressure of it would only be relieved. New bones would only be formed if we could return to the source of the intellectual power of the people who die first and die poor. And I don't think I have anything else to add to that. Abolition. 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 What is it? Slavery. Slavery. What do we want to hear? Slavery. What are we fighting? Slavery. Slavery. And we are back on Abolition Today. That was part two of Dr. Joy James's Rebel Intellectuals. I feel some kind of way, brother. She was talking about me. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> talked to Lance a couple weeks ago, and he was like, yeah, I had two sons in there 30-some years, and, you know, we got this thing going on $7,000. Oh, man. Yeah, she was definitely uh, pointing out uh, what the problem is. And she mm-hmm. said it so smoothly that it was hard mm-hmm. to deny and sitting there listening to all the speakers who never even bothered to respond to what she presented uh, just kind of blew my mind. It was like it was going in one ear for them and out the other. But she definitely dropped the hammer up, and uh, she gave us a big push. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that the speakers knew. They just <laughs> – it's hard to deny truth, <laughs> you know. Like, um, but I just to clarify, I believe that the term um, she used during the talk was uh, guerrilla intellectuals, which was Walter Rodney, um, who was also assassinated in 1980. So, like, you know, there's this long line of revolutionaries, you know, who are doing this work who just get assassinated, you know. Um, yeah, no pressure. 
<laughs> no pressure. <laughs> so I don't call you revolutionary, man. I just tell everything. <laughs> I remember one time, dude, it was so dangerous around me, for real, for real, that I, I had to contact uh, the Huey Newton Gun Club and ask them for mm-hmm. some protection. Uh, you know, and they put me in contact with the new Black Panthers, and I ran it down on them, and they, they did have sent us some protection for the what we were doing at the time. But that was really how dangerous it was for what I, I believe that you know, they're taking here on the whole, mm-hmm. they're taking on a whole empire, <laughs> like you know, and historically, yeah. It's, she said some, she dropped some quote smacks up in there for sure. She said there are movement millionaires. Oh man, mm-hmm. aren't there though? You know, mm-hmm. you see them everywhere you go. And you start thinking, mm-hmm. are they doing it to solve the problem or to keep the problem going because that's how they get paid? I remember mm-hmm. when I was in Charleston and <clears throat> being a part of the PBS's uh, After Charleston report. And uh, mm-hmm. we, I had to stand up and speak myself because they weren't going to give me no opportunity to speak. So I kind of crashed the party <laughs> along <laughs> with Moyadeen and Dubai. And I told mm-hmm. them straight up, you don't want answers. You just want to keep talking because talking pays. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, millionaires, you know. And I'm not even going to get into the aspects of where that money is going, but they're definitely out there. Um, and she also mentioned about <clears throat> how revolutionaries, which are the source of intellectual power, are sidelined mm-hmm. in academia, you know. And you just mm-hmm. pointed out a number of them. Uh, like mm-hmm. I remember what the discussion was going on with. Uh, Du Bois and Du Bois were l- lamenting the fact that he didn't have someone who thought like him apparently around him to discuss the issues that he wanted to discuss with. And uh, people pointed out that hey, you had Ida B. Wells, <laughs> but apparently <laughs> because she was a self-taught intellectual, she wasn't good enough for you, you know. So they mm-hmm. took her out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, those, those things are happening all the time. We get sidelined. They shut us down. They shut us up. And everywhere we go. Uh, if we hear them talking about reforming police or reforming the prison system, and we go, hey, explain to me exactly how you reform crimes against humanity, they got nothing to say and act like we didn't just point that out to them. <laughs> Passing it to you. One of, the, one of the things I really respect about Dr. James, in addition to um, her connection to, to community and keeping things real, is that she has written extensively um, – or I would say extensively, consistently on the 13th Amendment. It's not something, you know, that right. she's jumping on a bandwagon like she's written on it for a long time and understands, you know, the people that she's mentioning, Addie B. Wells and, um, what is it? Um, I just forgot the gentleman's name. The, and, um, Sadiata, I believe his name is. Yeah, okay. Oh, no, I was just thinking, like, they, they have specifically talked about comic leasing and why are these mm-hmm. people either left out of a narrative or like Adi Wells included in the narrative, they're only only from a certain political perspective and they're not talking about comic leasing and slavery. They're talking about other things which are important but they're not like the problem to be going after, you know. Right. And that's the missing link, convict leasing. It's what mm-hmm. really is lacking from the conversation. Often people go straight from slavery to Jim Crow. And they forget that Jim Crow was only the legal aspect of a result, and the result was convict leasing. 
So if you broke mm-hmm. these laws, if you drank from that fountain that said whites only, if you bought your food from the front of the store, if you didn't have a dollar and was standing on the corner in a neighborhood that you didn't belong to, uh, you wouldn't. Uh, it wouldn't just be a smack on the wrist. It didn't go uh, Jim Crow and that be the end of it. <laughs> no, right. you asked went to prison and jail where you were leased out to these various companies, global freaking companies now that made billions of dollars as free labor, as essentially slaves. Mm-hmm. And like I said in the opening song, uh, convict leasing, as young as eight years old were being sent mm-hmm. to these mines and railroads and all of that. But that's the Famous missing link. The fields, yeah. They don't include into it. So they skip that and go to Jim Crow, uh, which is the, the neutered version of slavery now. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then from Jim Crow, they get into... Uh, what we're dealing with now, and I think I've heard the term Jane Crow. Uh, another reason for me want to p- powder slap some of these academics coming up with words <laughs> like Jane Crow. What the hell is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> but anyway, man, uh, she also said a couple of other things that uh, stood out for me. She said, um, there is no mechanism right now for discourse for revolutionaries. And who controls those mechanisms for discourse? And pointed out that, you know, she herself admittedly, works for a white corporation called a college. And if you work mm-hmm. for the state uh, colleges, you're literally working for the state. So there's only so much you can you can say. I guess she's she's right now walking the razor, right? I, I guess in some ways, but I just um, I think with more integrity than other people in the academy. <laughs> I guess I'll leave it like that. Well, they're like minds. Uh, who think like she does. And we've been trying to help pull those people together because academia holds a great responsibility when it comes to this issue of modern-day slavery slavery and human trafficking. They are the reason that most people believe that slavery ended because they didn't do their damn research. They didn't put it into the uh, the school books that they, they uh, created. They didn't put it into the curriculum. They went from the assumption that slavery ended and worked from there. Uh, and mm-hmm. so they're very much responsible for a lot of this, and it's time for them to take responsibility and start talking about this issue of, it, it, using language that fits and not imply, not use metaphors, not say it's kind of like or almost like or a slave-like thing, but literally point out what the problem is and don't worry about whether or not you're accusing the United States of slavery and genocide and human trafficking because it is slavery, genocide, and human right. trafficking. Call it what it is. Sean? I'm really happy that um, that we were connecting with Dr. James because she's been doing um, some stuff this for this year for the anniversary of um, the Attica massacre. And, and we also know the anniversary of the We Charge Genocide Petition, but we also know that um, – at least when I went to reread it, but the um the we charge genocide petition skips over the Thirteenth Amendment, and it's just it's more from a civil rights perspective from the from like voting and citizenship, and I just I don't know why that is <laughs> exactly, but I'm, I'm glad that these things are finally coming together and being talked talked about, you know, in the same in the same I can't think of the word, but in the same realm, I guess, or the same you know arena. Whereas before it yes. seems like there were, there seems like there's two different things. You talk about one, or you talk about the other. You couldn't talk about both, <laughs> you know. And it's not a crime against man; it's crimes, plural. Crimes, it's one right? Thing. It's not what just you know? one thing. Absolutely. Um, I I feel like 
Now, well, you sent me an email from Dr. James, and she's probably listening right now based on what you was telling me. Shout out to Dr. James if you're listening. I love you. You, you did the damn thing. Uh, I have never <laughs> seen a SmackDown done so smoothly and so nicely. It was like he was offering them sweet potato pie. You want? You guys want a piece of this sweet potato pie? <laughs> but at the same time, you were dropping a hammer and just laying it out as it should be laid out. And I appreciate you stepping up the bat for us. Uh, I'm pretty sure in the future, once she gets some time, we're going to have her in as a guest on the program. Uh, so I want to read what you sent me, and she suggested that we share this on our program. And this uh, comes from the Mellon Sawyer Seminar on Contemporary uh, Political Struggles. And they said, on this, the 50th anniversary of the Attica Prison Protest Uprising for Human Rights, we highlight that the April 23rd, 2021 Mellon Sawyer UC Davis Abolitionism and Communism Panel include urgent requests from the community activists in the chat requesting support and donations to legal defense commissaries for protesters arrested in Minneapolis in the wake of George Floyd's execution by police. Although former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was convicted, government DAs, police continue highly punitive and draconian repression against protesters across the country. Uh, They have a link here and it says, please read and respond to requests from targeted activists and please support initiatives for amnesty and protection for protesters. We ask that those with full employment and benefits consider donating or tithing a percentage of their speaker or book fees on abolitionism to the bail funds or commissaries of incarcerated activists. So that's the request. And I would add on to that, you can donate or tithe some of that money to the actual slavery abolitionist movement too. Uh, Go to abolishslavery.us and there is a donate button right up there at the top where you can help us to end legalized slavery in the United States via the Constitution. All right, Sean. Could you um could you put that request um on the website perhaps so that people can see the individual um people who are being targeted? Yes. Um, today I'm riding solo, so I'm not able to yeah, do yeah, the not, links not while I'm talking. But at the end of the program, I'll go ahead and put out all of our links that we spoke about today, all the topics that we spoke of, the music and the clips that we use. It'll all be available at Abolition Today on our Facebook page. All right, so there was one other thing that she said, too, uh, stood out for me. She said, if capitalism is financing freedom movements, they are not freedom movements. What do you say about mm-hmm. that? I think that's right on point. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't remember if it was that lecture or um, that event or a different one. Um, I just lost my train of thought for a second. It'll come back to me. If, um, if capitalism is financing freedom movements, they are not freedom movements. Yeah, it's just give me just a second. I was trying to think what I was going to say. Um, Is this the part where I play the Jeopardy music? Oh no, no, no. I, it came back to me. Um, she, um, I don't remember if it was that or she was talking about people um, imitating the Black Panther Party and not doing the work in the community. So I don't remember if it was that actual. Um, if it was that webinar or if it was a different one, but I know she said that recently and like that I'm like, damn, you know, like you see that all the time with, you know, oh let's let's put Harriet Tubman on the twenty dollar bill and that call that liberation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like literally money, you know, but um just people trying to imitate but not do the do the actual work in the community. 
or, or nationally, I guess you would say, if we were talking about the 28th Amendment. So like that definitely impressed me about, you know, noticing how people want to grab onto something, you know, whether historical or contempor- in the contemporary world, and not actually do the work that would give you the honor of being that movement, if that makes sense. Yes, I think I understand where you come from. Um, I had to think about it a little bit, that statement, you know what I mean? The capitalism mm-hmm. is financing freedom movements. They are not freedom movements. And I understand where she's coming from, and I largely agree. But I'm, mm-hmm. I also have some real-world experience that made me have to stop and pause and think about it. Because with the Abolish Slavery National Network, the efforts that we're making are monumental, historic. We're literally ending constitutional slavery. Some of these state constitutions have not been changed since the 1800s, like New Jersey uh, hasn't been changed since 1875. Uh, these are the efforts that we're making. So they're humongous efforts, and they require resources. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, doing this is, is not free, and a lot of it comes out mm-hmm. of the pocket of the organizers, almost always like mm-hmm. that, you know. Uh, if we get the resources that we need, um, that would be a great deal of money. But we're talking about 50 states doing this as well as in a federal effort. So we would have to rely on resources deemed capitalists. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I think you have to be aware of or, or more concerned with who is managing these monies, you know, mm-hmm. and where is the money's going. So if you ever see Max riding around a Mercedes-Benz, make a couple hundred <laughs> thousand dollars a year, you could rest assured you are dreaming because that would never be me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I know? think um, cause she had also, I feel really bad speaking about her without her being here, but um, she had mentioned um, about Citizens United, you know, like overturning that. And I think, you know, kind of mega, mega, um, mega corporations kind of funding both Republicans and the Democrats and like the, the police and like the opposition to the police. So I think um, definitely the movement needs money, but I don't think that necessarily makes it capitalist. <laughs> um, I guess we could have a conversation about that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, maybe. I, there's a lot to think about in that statement, right? There's a lot to mm-hmm. think about. Um, if you, mm-hmm. I guess it's all conditional. It really is very much conditional. You know, uh, if you pulling in for moving a million dollars, a million dollars go back out. What's the complaint to efforts? You know what I mean? If you're getting mm-hmm. that million dollars, on the other hand, from the geo group, for instance, that is a problem. Right. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, that's a problem right there. Uh, and the geo group has reached out to the ASNN uh, members. Uh, and what wow. so far as to send gifts to the uh Representative McKnight out in New Jersey in order to try to influence their decisions. And even the Department of Justice just sent a letter uh, to one of our operatives here in the ASNN asking us to change the language in the state constitution or the amendment that we're proposing. And they gave us a long list of stuff about, you know, uh, prison labor. And we're not going to do any of that, of course. But the idea that they would send us this and request that we include all of this crap about prison labor shows they're worried about losing prison labor, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and that they know exactly I, where the cause of their problem is. Go ahead. You were going to say? Um, I guess 
whether um, someone in the movement is capitalist or anti-capitalist, I think what we're doing would definitely change capitalism. They may not end it, but it would definitely change it. You know, um, <laughs> if you have these people that you can't no longer exploit, um, I think it would definitely change the dynamics of the struggle. It doesn't mean that the struggle's over, but I think it would definitely, I don't know, so I think it's something that we could have a great conversation with um, Dr. James about when she um, is available to come on the program. I think that she's well-versed in anti-capitalism and black liberation and could probably answer this question a lot more than I could. Well, I'm just giving some of my thoughts. We're calling today's program Paper Tigers, uh, and it's it's got multiple meanings, as I always do with the titles. On the one end, we've got representatives like Dr. Joy James in academia, who is a paper tiger. And I mean that in the positive sense. You know what I mean? Like Death by a Thousand Cuts, she's using her work in academia to make this difference for us, to open doors for us, to be able to get in people's heads that we, too, have a solution as well that is worth considering instead of sidelining. So she's definitely a tiger out there in academia on behalf of the abolition, slavery abolitionist movement. But on the other hand, there's the paper tigers that don't do diddly. And, you know, we've just seen the Department of Justice announce that they're going to investigate uh, Minneapolis Police Departments. They're also investigating the St. Louis Police Department uh, for what happened out there. And we've seen mm-hmm. this happen over and over again. They've investigated many police departments. They've found many constitutional violations. They found it to be both race-based and systemic. They found, uh, you know, before I go into all of the details, let's go ahead and play a clip with our music break that will help you to understand. We're going to listen to one of their investigations uh, into Ferguson where Eric Holder announced his findings. You might remember that. And that's going to be followed by M1 and Bonnet in Paper Paper Tiger, the coward acoustic version. And, yes, that is M1 from Dead Prez, brothers playing the piano and singing. Y'all going to have to hear this. All right, uh, Sean, if you want to hang on with me until after the music break, we'll go into some news after that. Feel free to hang on um, if you like. Uh, If you're listening to the program, and you want to call in and uh, participate in the conversation, the number is 515-605-9814. Remember to press the number one on your keypad so that we know you have a question or comment. Because a lot of people just call in to listen via their phone. So that way we know that you have something to say. All right, we're going to take our music break, listen to this clip, and we'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Now, of course, violence is never, is never justified. But seen in this context, amid a, a highly toxic environment, defined by mistrust and resentment, stoked by years of bad feelings, and spurred by illegal and misguided practices, it's not difficult to imagine how a single tragic incident set off the city of Ferguson like a powder keg. In a sense, members of the community may not have been responding only to a single isolated confrontation, but also to a pervasive, corrosive, and deeply unfortunate lack of trust, attributable to numerous constitutional violations by their law enforcement officials, including First Amendment abuses, unreasonable searches and seizures, and excessive and dangerous use of force. 
exacerbated by severely disproportionate use of these tactics against African Americans and driven by overriding pressure from the city to use law enforcement not as a, a public service but as a tool for raising revenue. Now according to According to our investigation, this emphasis on, on revenue generation through policing has fostered unconstitutional practices or practices that contribute to constitutional violations at nearly every, every level, level of Ferguson's law enforcement, law enforcement system. You paper tiger, fake a liar, I'm sick and tired, you gonna burn up in the fire. You'll roll the land. You rule the sea, you claim you're the man, but you don't rule me. You poison the air with fear everywhere. I know that you're scared, cause you don't fight fair. Tunisia and Libya, situation serious, and Egypt and Palestine. We running out of time In Cuba and Mexico Tell me which way to go In Somalia and Pakistan Do we even understand What you said, what you said That you won't say it up in my face You coward, coward What you said, what you said that you won't say it up in my face Coward Coward They insult my intelligence every day Piss on my head and they telling us that it's rain I don't really see a reason to celebrate And I hope it ain't too late Dictator democracy In the state of hypocrisy You made a mockery Of what it means be free. What you said, what you said, that you won't say it up in my face. Coward, coward. What you said, what you said, that you won't say it up in my face. Coward, coward. Do as you say, not as you do. That's what you say. You don't follow your own rules Do as you say Not as you do That's what you say You don't follow your own rules Your own rules What you say What you say that you won't say it up in my face Coward Coward What you said What you said That you won't say it up in my face Coward 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 Abolition.
Uh, Andrew, you want to speak on about that, what you just heard, Sean? Um, this reminds me of the, um, the I call it the Maxism, you know, that history is a synonym because keeps on <laughs> happening, like the the crimes keep on happening and the false solutions keep on happening and people, you know, and people get shocked, you know, the third people get shocked that it happens again. Like, it's almost like it's um, shock and awe type of activism. Like, <laughs> how are you shocked anymore? You know, like, <laughs> right? they, they use the term as what, like a military strategy. Like, how are you shocked? Like, Yes, it's disturbing, but how are you shocked? <laughs> you know, like this if you've if you followed it long enough, you know this is you can predict you can it's, it's very predictable in a way. You know, you can put, you can probably calculate when the next, you know, police murder is gonna happen, you can calculate when the next protest is gonna happen until something fundamentally changes, you know. Right. Um, Eric Holder dropped it down. I mean he said it clearly. It was race based, they were using the police as a revenue generator. Um, and mm-hmm. that they went from one million to three million dollars in revenues mm-hmm. and fines that they was doing on uh, abusive practices of uh, you know physical abuse. I remember mm-hmm. one of the things he pointed out was the police charged the man with bleeding on their uniform and called it assault because he bled on their uniform after they beat him all up. Uh, that was Ferguson police who was working directly with the city council in order to generate resources through fines and fees that were targeting the black community. Uh, they even mm-hmm. had so many warrants in that place. I think it was like 80% of the warrants were for black people. And in the town nearby, which was Country Club, they had like a population of maybe like 15,000, but they had 25,000 warrants for arrest. <laughs> like that was how they're generating their money. And it's crystal mm-hmm. clear. He didn't say uh, like violations of the Constitution. He said these are systemic violations of your constitutional rights happening, right? And that was back in 2014. And where are we now? Did anything change in Ferguson? Is there any differences? Did anybody go to prison for violating people's rights? Did anybody get fined? What happened? Mm-hmm. And basically, nothing happened. They come in, that, they make some damn suggestions, and then walk away. <laughs> the, that, um, the end of that song, when you're talking about being cowards, it reminds me of um, Eric Holder. I don't remember if it was before or after Ferguson called you know, the United States a nation of cowards, you know? Yes, I know. Every uh, one of these attorney generals seems to be outright cowards when it comes to constitutional violations of the American citizens. They're more concerned with the integrity of the police and keeping their reputations crystal clear than protecting people's rights. As a matter of fact, back mm-hmm. in 2015, the Marshall Project uh, did a publication called Policing the Police. Let me read a little bit about what they said regarding these announcements that the Department of Justice is going to investigate some city or police department. Such announcements have become almost a national ritual in this moment of heightened sensitivity to police conduct. A ready federal response to the charges of bias and abuse that have risen against law enforcement agencies across the country, from Albuquerque to Ferguson. The arrival of the Department's Civil Rights Division has been meant to signal that Washington understands there is a problem and is committing, committed to solving. Now, I don't believe that at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it just comes in to placate us. Look, y'all, we're doing this investigation, and we know what's going on. We understand. Look, here's a violation here, a violation there. Everywhere, violation. Violation for you, two for me, one for you, three for you. Violations everywhere. We know it. Mm-hmm. Yes, we agree. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to make some suggestions about how to fix it. And we'll catch you on the next one. 
it, it's paper tigers, man. There's not, no bite to it. You could do anything you want to the population in regards to constitutional rights, and there's nobody going to hold you responsible for it. But, you know, so um, it reminds me of the, the commemoration um, during the Obama presidency. Like, no one really called anything like this slavery, and then, but you can somehow commemorate, you know, the um, 13th Amendment, and then, then you bring in everybody else's struggle and, like, drawn out any solution, you know what I mean, when um, Obama made a speech about the 13th Amendment. Yes, it, I remember you know, the 150th anniversary of the 13th Amendment. Yeah, like, you do something mm-hmm. symbolic, and then you drag everybody else's struggle in with it, and, and you know, um, yeah, <laughs> then everything gets washed out, and you don't have any specific plan to fix it. You just kind of have this kind of abstract nation building, you know, Biden's building back better. You know, there's a lot of nation building, but there's not a lot of slavery destroying, you know, so you can build up a slavery nation, but you, you don't have to destroy the slavery according to um, its presidents, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have to take this up another level. Really, that's where we got to go with it because we're not getting it. We don't have any recourse. We have nowhere that we could turn to now. Uh, if the Department mm-hmm. of Justice doesn't give a damn about your constitutional rights, then who do you turn to? So mm-hmm. we have to seek other ways of being able to solve this problem. And one of those ways is occurring right now, and that is with the ICC. And they have mm-hmm. come out with a report recently, a devastating report, they called it where human rights experts call on international criminal court prosecutors to open an immediate investigation and the systemic killing and maiming of unarmed African-Americans by police amounts to crimes against humanity that should be investigated and prosecuted under international law. An inquiry into U.S. police brutality by leading human rights lawyers from around the globe has found, and uh, they break it down piece by piece exactly what they mean by crimes mm-hmm. against humanity in here. And uh, mm-hmm. this is just one of the avenues that we're taking now to bring this uh, thing forward. Sean? Um, yeah, I was actually surprised um, there's that forceful. I thought, you know, the ICC would never direct this attention towards the United States. I'm glad to see this happening. But I also remember a year ago, um, I think it was a year ago when um, the chief prosecutor, I believe it was, um, she said things kind of like that. And the United States, you know, revokes her visa. They froze her assets. <laughs> like, they pretty much treat her as a terrorist, you know, much, yes. like, when they, much like when um, W.E.B. Du Bois was going to deliver um, the petition in Paris, I believe it was. They revoked his visa. Like, they, they're prepared for, you know, to undercut any criticism any by any means necessary, you know? By any means necessary. Right. Um, let me read a little bit about what the ICC is so people can know. Yeah. The Rome Statute, consisting of 128 articles, is a global treaty that founded the ICC in 2002. The state's parties elect the ICC's 18 judges serving the court's different chambers, which is pretrial trial and appeals the statute grants the court jurisdiction over four gravest international crimes of concern to humanity the crime of genocide crimes against humanity war crimes and the crime of aggression 
The crimes against humanity are perpetrated when a civilian population suffers widespread or systemic attack in times of war or peace, including murder, rape, forced disappearance, enslavement, torture, apartheid, and deportation. 123 states, including Afghanistan and Palestine, accept the ICC jurisdiction to investigate and prosecute individuals who perpetrate international crimes on their territory, along with nearly 75 other states. Now get this, the U.S. and Israel do not accept the court's jurisdiction, nor do they intend to do so. Sean? Yeah, it's, I wonder why. <laughs> they didn't want to be investigated. You know, um, I believe the, the law that established the ICC going back to 1998, the Roman the Rome Statute, I believe, which is why I'm kind of trying to show how these conflicting narratives are, are um, because you have, like, the prison abolitionists that are kind of big year. We're getting organized recently. It was 1998 with the critical resistance, you know, but they don't utter the words crimes against humanity. So I think this is definitely the a good avenue to pursue um, because we need to, we need to utter those words and, you know, bring people to account, you know, with the the prison abolitionists, you know, they want to create a society where prisons aren't needed. Well, that's great, you know, but um, what about people actually doing these crimes, these massive crimes of humanity? Are, are they not supposed to be prosecuted? But like, you don't hear that movement talking about this. Maybe they will now that there's been some publicity, but um, you don't hear the words crimes against humanity, and you don't get the connections being made, you know. The that's language is meant specifically to avoid that. Uh, to have mm-hmm. no accountability so that there's nobody to point at. Word terms mm-hmm. like mass incarceration, over policing, policing for profit, prison for profit. None of these things are in the illegal. <laughs> None of them are mm-hmm. illegal. There's no laws to protect you from any of that. So they can do it as mm-hmm. much as they want and get away with it. Uh, and as mm-hmm. you and I have discussed not too long ago, uh, towards the end of the program, about two weeks ago, um, about how the United States refuses to be held accountable for anything. They don't want to be part of anything that has them held accountable outside of their borders by foreign nations. But they want to be the police for every damn body else. They want to be up in everybody else's business. They want to stand up and talk about what China is doing, what uh, Iran Mm -hmm. is doing, what North Korea is doing. But you guys literally have legal slavery here. Mm -hmm. Committing crimes against humanity and refusing to take responsibility for it. Go ahead. Yes, um, I just lost my thought again. Uh, some of the stuff we've done is even worse. You know, the, the people we have um, a prison population worse than the people we criticize. You know, and the things we've right. done are worse. You know, we can never say we're worse than people. We might be, you know, bad or good, but we can never say we're worse. Like that's, you know, white nationalism right there. You know, if you remember when uh, Trump called the African nations shithole countries? Uh, oh yeah. But he, here's the deal, right? If you take the top five populated African nations and combine them together, we still have more black men in prison than they do combined. <laughs> so how that, is, is that? Is that the nation like the total population? Or is that just their? That's the population total population combined? of the largest African nations, the most populated okay. top five. That's together. what I thought you meant. I just wanted to make yes. sure I understood. Okay. The ones with the most wow. people in a place where you're like 95 percent black people. And he put all five mm-hmm. of them together. We still have more prisoners, twice as many prisoners as they do combined wow. here in one country. And it's just 
<laughs> it's also too um speaking of the crimes against humanity, it seems like the way people are educated in this country, they kind of see, you know, murder after murder after murder and what at what point does it become genocide? You know what I mean? Like people just say it's unfortunate and it needs to change, reform, but like at what level like you said we need to raise the game. Like it's not just individualized murders, it's genocide, you know, like if <laughs> it's I think people just need to see that clearly. They have a problem seeing genocide when it doesn't happen all at once. So if, if it happens mm-hmm. over the course of 10 years, it's invisible to them. It's the same amount of mm-hmm. people dead from the same groups, but if it happens over 10 years, eh, it's not a genocide. That's just some, something else. But, you know, if you add all the deaths by police, which is like, I believe it's 12, 1,400 1, a year, 1,200 a year, and you add all mm-hmm. the deaths that happen through negligence or abuse or other ways inside the prisons, and then you multiply that times 10 years, you're talking like 40,000 people dead, enough to fill Mm -hmm. one of these huge stadiums with nothing but dead bodies, just over Mm -hmm. one single decade. I mean, if we incarcerate, um, right now we have 24 million people a year going through our justice system, whether it's through the courts, probation, parole, detention, jails and prisons, 24 million people a year. Multiply that times 10 years, and how many mm-hmm. do you got? 240 million bodies in just one decade. Mm-hmm. And let me tell now, you how they reacted, it, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, if you want to add something to that, go ahead. And uh, I was just thinking before, I guess I've had a bad memory tonight, but um, it's, uh, speaking of what you were saying about the human rights violations of the country, is President Biden wants to acknowledge a genocide that happened in a different country. Right. Yeah, like, and you can't acknowledge an ongoing genocide in your own country. Like, what's the politics behind that? He hasn't even acknowledged his own damn crime bill yet. (laughs) Like, it's still going on. And he's talking about Armenian genocide while his Clinton-Biden crime bill is still clocking bodies. Bodies still Mm -hmm. dropping because of it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's safe for him because it's not our country, and it's a century ago, so it's, it's you know, he's a very safe politician in some ways, like he wants to, or a safe or a very calculated politician, you know, so he knows that that's not going to cause a ruckus. He can't, he can't call the country that he just got elected from genocidal, you know, I guess he could, but like he's, um, he's not going this, to, you know. This is almost a lot, it's very much like Nazi Germany, you could say, right now, where, you know, they just don't want to be held accountable by nobody, and it, com- it allows them to commit these crimes against humanity without accountability. And like the police, they want to police themselves. The government mm-hmm. investigated the government, and we're innocent. <laughs> That's how it works, right? But when the I, ICC, I believe um, um, I believe some of the scientists too from Nazi Germany they didn't want to prosecute. They wanted the intelligence back in their, in America. Like it's just it's so multi dimensional, you know what I mean? Like you think that this would be clear cut and you'd wanna prosecute and you'd wanna say never again and mean it, but then like you see how states are treated and how yes, there was, you know, some prosecution which is better than we have now, but like yeah, it's 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 deep. <laughs> It is deep. And you was talking about uh, the prosecutor for the ICC and how they treated her as a terrorist, right? And uh, Fatal Benswada, I believe it is, Mm -hmm. uh, is the Mm -hmm. prosecutor. But immediately after the the ICC was formed, 
Uh, during the Bush administration, this is what happened. And this comes from HRW.org. It says, New York, a new law supposedly protecting U.S. service members from the International Criminal Court shows that the Bush administration will stop at nothing in its campaign against the court. U.S. President George Bush today signed into law the American Servicemen Members Protection Act of 2002, which is intended to intimidate countries that ratified the Treaty for the International Criminal Court, ICC. The new law authorizes the use of military force to liberate any American or citizens of a U.S. allied country being held by the court, which is located in The Hague. This provision, dubbed the Hague Invasion Clause, has caused a strong reaction from U.S. allies around the world, particularly in the Netherlands. So as soon as it came out that, you know, 123 states are getting, uh, countries are getting together and saying, yeah, we do need this outside body because some of y'all screwed up and be doing some dirty deeds <laughs> and you're not going to hold yourself accountable. So, yes, we need this. The U.S. was like, hell to the naw. If you so much as pick up mm-hmm. one of our people, you, you go get George Zoli for instance, who is mm-hmm. the president of uh, the GEO group, and you put him in prison for crimes against humanity, we will use the U.S. military forces to come and get him. Wow. wow. Which also reminds me of they know exactly what they're doing. You know what I mean? People think, oh, this is a mistake, or, you know, like, people, they know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> you know, the Hague is you know, where they're, they're protecting themselves. They're protecting themselves. CYA. Um, the Hague, the Hague is where they did the prosecutions for the uh, Nazis, and to think that you have right. something called the Hague Invasion Clause. Oh mm-hmm. man, America! No, let me take that A out. Just America, America. <laughs> you don't deserve an A right now. You get an F. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So you know what, Brother Yusuf isn't here today. Uh, he, as I said, he is on the road, but he did. Uh, put his hand into the production arena and put together something about the ICC on a musical level. I think you're going to enjoy oh, it, cool. especially coming on the heels of M1 singing and playing the piano, talking about what you say, what you say. I bet you won't say it up in my face, you coward. <laughs> I got a T-shirt that says that. There it is. That was so hot. But anyway, let's go ahead and listen to uh, what you said put together. It's a USFX and it's ICC, Police Killing of Blacks, followed by Dead Prez, Police State. You're listening to Abolition Today. I'm here today with Brother Sean Darling, and we will be right back after this. Abolition Today. An independent international commission of human rights experts has released its report about police brutality in the U.S. The conclusion, police treatment of African Americans amounts to crimes against humanity. As the world's Rufus Chinoy reports, the commission is now calling on the International Criminal Court to investigate. When Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd, Floyd's brother, Flonis, asked the United Nations to investigate. A group of African countries proposed an independent commission focused on the U.S. That didn't happen, in part because of lobbying by the Trump administration. So an international group of lawyers set up an independent commission of its own. Twelve members from around the world held virtual hearings. They investigated the cases of 43 black people killed by police since 2000. International human rights attorney Lennox Hines coordinated the effort. We can stand on the sidelines and wring our hands. We can decide to do 
do nothing and say it is helpless. All we can do what we are doing here, which is to mobilize the international community. The 188-page report finds that the U.S. has two systems of justice, one for white people and another for black people. It says the U.S. has tolerated a racist pattern of disproportionate force against African Americans, including unreasonable searches and seizures, and the excessive use of firearms and tasers. Commissioner Hina Jelani, a Pakistani human rights activist, hopes their findings help accelerate change. The international community includes a very large international civil society that is already paying heed to what this report is saying. And their pressure cannot be underestimated. The commission urged President Biden and members of Congress to demilitarize the police, make de-escalation standard, and create an independent elected body to monitor anti-racism efforts within law enforcement. The report says the U.S. should consider reparations and it should accept the oversight of the International Criminal Court. If the U.S. doesn't, Commissioner Peter Herbert says there are other options. He's chair of the Society of Black Lawyers. Part of what brought down the apartheid regime, and only part, was the decision by millions of people across the world to boycott uh, South African goods. American goods are not unique. They can be boycotted. Herbert says the coalition, enraged by George Floyd's death, must make the U.S. understand that it is not above the law. For the world, I'm Rupa Shinoy. You know how we think, organize the hood under our ching banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Thank you.
No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring black, denying the fact, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented, I meant it. Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it. It's more than just fucking believing it. I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit. It's the low for push ups now, many headed for one conclusion. Niggas ain't ready for revolution. Yeah, I've been black now, never third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected. And the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? We living in a police state. ICC, the police killings of blacks uh, equal to uh, human uh, crimes against humanity. Uh, Brother Sean, there's a lot of lot of powerful stuff there. It kind of ju- uh, kind of jumped out at me as a theme. Is like, what will it take, you know, to to stop, you know, all all these atrocities? You know, like the boycott would be one. You know, like um, prosecuting would be another. Um, like it, people call it a general strike, like everyone's just stop working. You know, like I'm not sure if that's what any of those would happen. But if the mind, the question in my mind is, what will it take? You know, like something has to be something huge and something sustained. You know. Yes, and I'd like to think that the abolitionist movement is that the agitation that we're mm-hmm. creating right now is stirring the pot in every direction, including what you just heard with the ICC as well as. In the spirit of Mandela, the tribunal that's being formed there, uh, which is going to charge or indict the United States with crimes against humanity that includes slavery and genocide. And also, we're coming up mm-hmm. on the anniversary of the We Declare We uh, We Declare Genocide. Uh, we charge genocide. Yeah, we charge genocide. genocide right, we're coming up on that. So the agitation is there. They're going to hear it from every angle uh, that you know this is the case, and it's not the state so much that we're going to see react with the people. The people are going to demand it to the point where you won't even be able to get elected unless this is something that's on your agenda and a very big thing, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, paper cuts, man. Death by a thousand cuts. Uh, you know, a revolution requires participation at every level. And, you know, I hate politics. I can't stand it. I, I came up as an anarchist in, in the truest sense mm-hmm. of the word, uh, biblical sense mm-hmm. of the word. And I, I just never want to touch politics, to trust politicians. And I haven't changed much 
But because Frederick Douglass taught me to use whatever tools are in the shed, and Malcolm X told me if I'm going to tell you about what I won't do to get my freedom, then I don't really want freedom, that had to make me double think what I was doing. So I'm using every tool in the shed. I don't have to like it to do it. <laughs> and I met some people mm-hmm. that are really good people in politics along the way that surprised me. Uh, like Representative Sandra Hollins out in Utah, who is a heroic figure. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the the brother that ran for president just recently, um, damn, why is his name is Skippy right Mark now? Mark Charles. Mark Charles. Well, you know, I met yeah. some really good people along the way who mm-hmm. we've stumped for in congressional bids and senatorial bids and gubernatorial bids who ran on abolitionist platforms. We need them. We need them out there. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, um, we were talking about I.B. Wells and about um, Dr. James talking about Cabral. It seems like, um, and connect that to the 13th Amendment, like this is a massive deception. And like we are in this movement and the world is shining the light on the U.S. right now. You know, like that's, you talk about, you know, like a war on bodies. There's been a war on truth for a long time, you know, and, 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 you know, we, we need to be, to set the record straight, you know, what the United States, you know, has done. Well, if you're listening tonight and you want to chime in, it's 515-605-9814, 515-605-9814, press 1, so we know you have a question or a comment. I really appreciate you filling in with me today, uh, Sean. Uh, the company is appreciated, brother. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, my pleasure. And, uh, I'm having a good time with this music today. <laughs> you know, the the tracks we put together is just always so powerful and timely. Um, if you want to hear some good music and, you know, you got a lot of complaints about what you hear on the radio, support independent <laughs> media right here at Abolition Today. Well, we be dropping it like it's hot, man. <laughs> what do you think about the music so far tonight? Oh, it's, it's always on point. Like, it just makes you think, you know, um, and uh, I think one of the last tracks was talking about a war, you know, we're talking about the war on drugs. Like, this is literally a war, and, like, um, you need to talk about it in those terms, like a war and, like, mass death and genocide. But also we talked about, too, like, one of the costs of losing the war is being enslaved. You know, right. so I think we need to make that clear that, you know, these things are so connect- interconnected, you know. And, you know, they can't kill everybody, so, you know, they, and I guess they could. But, I mean, like, that's not their primary aim, you know, the the primary aim is to have a mass enslaved labor force, you know. Um, so I think that you need to bring those things together. And I think the music, like the question, the music does that really well. We're fighting systems, no doubt about that. But those systems are mm-hmm. uh, comprised of individuals that have names mm-hmm. and can be charged mm-hmm. with crimes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, let me read something here that came out from another ally of ours. Uh, Professor Khalil Gibran Muhammad. Uh, he was mm-hmm. recently on CNN. He's always on CNN, and he talks about the 13th <laughs> Amendment a lot. <laughs> and yeah. uh, he's, uh, let me read what it says here. It says, a Minnesota, a Minnesota jury's conviction of former police officer Derek Chauvin on three counts for murdering George Floyd does not go far enough in dismantling police brutality and state state-sanctioned violence, says historian and author Khalil Gibran Muhammad. We know that while the prosecution was performing in such a way to make the case that Derek Chauvin was a rogue actor, the truth is that policing 
should have been in a trial in that case, Mama says. We don't have a mechanism in our current system of law in the way that we treat individual offenses to have that accountability and justice delivered. Mama also lays out the racist history of slave patrol to U.S. police departments, which he details in his book, The Condemnation of Blackness, Race, Crime, and the Making of Modern Urban America. But he's right. It's the mm-hmm. system needs to be put on trial. You know, mm-hmm. when the cops do something good, you see them out here dancing with children in the street or doing a rap <laughs> song with somebody or reciting some poetry. It's like, that's one of our boys, right? Uh, he represents us. But you just catch one of them raping, murdering, robbing, drugging, all the things that they do, and suddenly he doesn't represent all of us. Like, what? <laughs> right. <laughs> How does that even work, you know? It's almost as if the killing is a guaranteed part of the job description. And not for everybody, but you're going to be killing mm-hmm. people. Police are going to be killing people. Well, damn, man, if that man can figure out how to catch criminals without killing them, why can't you? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You can't make the nets guns with the nets at the end of them like the Joker has? Or you can't, you know, find some non-lethal way of stopping people? Do you always have to shoot people in the back of the head as they're driving away? Is that like a standard thing mm-hmm. in policing that you learn? how to shoot. Like there was one case I remember where the the police were shooting at the people so much in the car, a couple who was innocent that one cop got up on the hood of the car and emptied his clip, reloaded, and then emptied it again into this innocent man and woman, black man and woman in a car while he was standing on the freaking hood of the car. Uh, It was 147 bullets fired in total. They went to court. And I believe that the judge wouldn't prosecute the cop that stood on the hood of the car because he said there was no way that they could tell which of the bullets were actually the bullets that killed the couple. Like, oh are you for God. real? <laughs> That's what we're dealing it's with right whole, now. I think that um, one of the memorable lines of the We Charged Genocide Petition they said that the um, hangman's noose has been replaced by the police bullet. You know, mm. and like see the connection and like with this case you see how many it's not just you get shot once um you get shot multiple times so there's that level of brutality to it you know i think that one of the things dr james talked about was um i think it's something you shared with me about lincoln being shot once you know assassinated but you know people in the street black people in the street get shot get shot multiple multiple times so there's a race and a class issue right there you know and the level of brutality you know it's not just one bullet. It's you know, it's multiple. That's right. It's multiple. Hey, you know, I mean, like um, in that case, it was like a whole, <laughs> probably hundreds. <laughs> you know, we could add commentary to this all day long, man. But nothing says mm-hmm. like music and poetry, and that's why I love including it in here with the clips. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so mm-hmm. music touches the soul, and I got some soul music tonight for our peoples. Uh, matter of fact, we're gonna remember an ancient, well, not an ancient, but remember an ancestor in the com- comedic world, as well as uh, play some blues. So I got another track I want to share before the evening is out, and and then we can converse some more once we hear that. All right, would you, Sean? Yeah, sounds great. All right, so this is going to be George Carlin, slave owners who wanted to be free, and I just want to be free by champion Jack Dupree. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. 
with me tonight is Sean Darling, and I am Max Parkes. We'll be right back. Abolition. 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 It's the old American double standard. You know, say one thing, do something different. And, of course, the country is founded on the double standard. That's our history. We were founded on a very basic double standard. This country was founded by slave owners who wanted to be free. Am I right? A group of slave owners who wanted to be free. So they killed a lot of white English people in order to continue owning their black African people so they could wipe out the rest of the red Indian people and move west and steal the rest of the land from the brown Mexican people, giving them a place to take off and drop their nuclear weapons on the yellow Japanese people. You know what the motto? You know what the motto of this country ought to be? You give us a color, we'll wipe it out. You know I always beg to myself. Prayed and hoped someday that I would be free. It's the best feeling in the world when you're free. A bird wants to be free out of a cage. So you know I want to be free. I'm only a poor black man. Look like the whole world is down on me. Why do I have to be mistreated? You know, I know in some people's hearts, I know everybody don't want to treat you mean. I don't see why the people don't look up to one another and find out for themselves that the dirty ones is trying to keep the good people down. And the only way things will change, you got to make up your mind yourself. I'ma live the life that God give me to love. I'm not gonna be dirty. Why should I treat a man mean and he haven't done no harm, never hurt no one? All day and all night long, I'm begging to be free. That's all I want is to be free. I know everybody in the world is not the same Cause I found out for myself I found out the whole world is not on It's not down on you Cause they got people with hearts Walking around every day Some people look at you They look at you and stare you Because they begin to think When they look at you in mind some people look at you to say, he's a human being, why should he be mistreated so? And then some people look at you because they hate you. But it's not with everybody, it's only with some. You know, when I was in my home where I was born, I have been spit on. I have been had dirty water thrown in my face. I have been slapped down, pushed off the road in the home where I was born for nothing. And I always lived in fear and begged to the good Lord that maybe someday, maybe someday he would help me if it's any and I'll be free. 
for my last version, I want to say to the world, I thank you. Deep down in the bottom of my heart, I thank everyone. I hate no one. And I thank everybody from the way I've been treated for the world around. So when you hear me begging and pleading with tears in my eyes, all I want from you is to be free. So thanks the world. And will you all pray for me? Abolition. Abolition. That was champion Jack Dupree. I just want to be free. And before that, you heard George Carlin about them slave owners who wanted to be free. Brother Sean? Um, that was just a great back-to-back um, couple of tracks. I was, it reminded me of the, the second one about um, Lumia wrote a book about um, We Want Freedom, um, A Life in the Black Panther Party. And um, sometimes it just gets confused. Sometimes it seems like things get confused. Like, oh, maybe we had more money or maybe we want, like the goal is to get free, <laughs> you know, like more resources. I think those resources are important, but like, or a higher minimum wage or like, isn't that song just kind of, you know, nailed on the head? Like, we want to be free, you know? And I think right. things it's, get confused of what will bring about the freedom. Especially after tonight's conversation and the information we dropped regarding Paper Tigers. You know, why mm-hmm. are we doing all of this? What are we talking about all this for? We just want to be free. We want mm-hmm. the same thing everybody else wants. We don't want to mm-hmm. think that because we uh, uh, were accused of having a stolen a backpack that will end up three years in prison at 16 years old. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't want to mm-hmm. know that every time we don't pay a fine or a fee because we don't have the jobs or we don't have the resources, the income, that we're going to end up in a prison or maybe a SWAT team will come and tear our house apart looking mm-hmm. for some weed. <laughs> you know, we, we just mm-hmm. we don't want to tell our children, our male children, that one of three of them are going to end up in prison. You tell your children that and see how it feels. Right. You know? Like that's not a warning. It's a it's a threat. You're you're threatening your own kids, mm-hmm. man. So yeah, we just want to be free. That's all we want: freedom. Like we want the things the Constitution said we're supposed to have. That our soldiers swear an oath to defend. That the cops swear an oath to defend. That the polit- politicians swear an oath to defend. That's what we want. The same thing that they said had right there in the Constitution. We don't want you to violate our Fourth Amendment rights. We don't want you to violate our second or first amendment rights, our sixth, our eighth, thirteenth, fourteenth. We don't want you to violate our rights. And the way the thing is set up right now, and this is the expected course of action, let the police or the courts, whoever it is, violate your constitutional rights. Just let them do it and then challenge them in court later. Well, first of all, what good is a right if you've got to let somebody violate it? Before you can mm-hmm. do anything about it. And then secondly, mm-hmm. they know we can't afford the legal representation to challenge it in court. So it's basically a finger in our faces. Mm-hmm. If you swore an oath to defend the Constitution, look around you and see how much of it has been burned to the ground. And think about what that makes you, an oath breaker. Mm-hmm. All right. Sean, we are coming up on the end of our program. Um, I got to do my shout outs to the sponsors. And I want to give a special shout out to Sister Tamika Harper, uh, Game. She went through such a hard time this past year. 
and she has recovered, and right now she is participating in the annual Tamika Fest, named after her in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. So I think tonight is Nagad's night, uh, and then tomorrow's for the women. I may be mistaken, but if you're in Atlanta, Georgia, and you want to go to a hell of a powerful poetry and spoken word musical event, go to georgiame.com and check out where Tamika Fest is tonight and tomorrow. I want to say thank you to you, uh, Sean, for hanging out with me all night here today on Abolition Today. And uh, it was a a wonderful conversation. I appreciate your input, brother. Thank you, and thank you for bringing Dr. Jory um, James' work into the the conversation. So it's very important. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. I'm always going to support those who are putting the truth out there. And that's what she's doing. She's speaking truth to power, even at the the risk of her own career. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I I, I got nothing but love for her, and I'm looking forward to speaking with her more in the future. We're definitely going to get her here on Abolition Today uh, as soon as we can find out what her schedule looks like so that uh, she can offer us some sweet potato pie. <laughs> right? That's what she sounded like. She was saying, you want some sweet potato pie? By the way, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Right. But, um, all right. I want to thank our sponsors, as always, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Same Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice. Uh, shout out to Brother O.H. Jackson, who just spent a week here with us at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. He helped us to get our garden going so that we're self-sufficient here at the PCAC. So we've got a wonderful garden now out there. It's a huge area. We'll be eating good over here and giving some of it away. Um, shout out to the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, to Prismatic Dreams Radio Network, which is uh, live streaming us simultaneously right now. Um, we are going to be back on next week, May 9th, which is two things. One, it's Mother's Day, and it's my son's birthday who was born on Mother's Day, my oldest son. Happy birthday, son, coming up. Um, so we're going to focus, I think, on the mothers in the communities uh, that are dealing with their sons and daughters being killed and imprisoned. Uh, what was it that Valerie Castile called the group? The F-Dup Mothers Club. So maybe that might be the title of next week's program. We're going to remember these mothers and what pain they're going through right now because of the system. Uh, So definitely we'll do that. And then on the 15th, which is the week after that, I won't be in at all. Um, I'll be here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. We're starting the mural on the wall. Uh, We're still raising funds to do that. We're starting the mural on the wall on the 16th, uh, Sunday of May, and Brother Thomas Washington is going to be here to start you know, I guess he's putting down the first coat and we all get to play a role in that Uh, so that'll be the beginning of the mural, and we'll have another gathering once the mural is done, Uh, so I'm looking forward to that on the 16th of May Uh, I believe that uh, Yusuf may be holding it down, if not, we'll just have to uh, replay one of our episodes because y'all need to listen to them archives anyway, you've been missing a lot of good stuff right Sean? (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. I think I'm going to cut out myself, so guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> for real, for real, I man. Do like, it, but yeah. <laughs> it is definitely a master class on slavery abolition, modern slavery abolition. Uh, we cover all the bases, 
on this program, and as we did today with Paper Tigers and hitting you hitting it from that angle so you understand that. All right, so let me pull up our final segment for tonight. I think it's extremely powerful, and it's a nice conclusion to the program. We're going to hear Emmanuel Akinakulio read uh, Coguano's 1787 speech, and that's going to be followed by Shelter, the acoustic version by Vic Mensa and Chance the Rapper. Um, you're really going to enjoy this. Super powerful, and as I said, a nice way to close the program. Make sure that you check us out on our social media at Abolition Today, and uh, go ahead and subscribe and like our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash Abolition Today. You'll find all the clips, music, news, and things like that that we played here today on that page. So until Mother's Day next week, think about Abolition Today. Peace. Abolition, abolition, The whole business of slavery is an evil of the first magnitude and an evil sorry I am that it still subsists and more astonishing to think that it is an iniquity committed amongst Christians and contrary to all the genuine principles of Christianity every man of any sensibility whether he be a Christian or a heathen, if he has any discernment at all, must think that for any man or any class of men to deal with their fellow creatures as with the beasts of the field or to account them as such, however ignorant they may be and in whatever situation or wherever they may find them and whatever country or complexion they may be of, that those men who are the procurers and the holders of slaves are the greatest villains of the world. We appeal to the inhabitants of Europe. Would they dare to say that they have not wronged us and grievously injured us and that the blood of millions do not cry out against them? And if we appeal to the inhabitants of Great Britain, can they justify the deeds of their own conduct towards us? And is it not strange to think that they who ought to be considered as the most learned and civilized people in the world, that they should carry on a traffic of the most barbarous cruelty and injustice, and that many even among them are become so dissolute as to think slavery, robbery and murder no crimes? No man can with impunity steal, kidnap, buy or sell another man without being guilty of the most atrocious villainy. And we will aver that every slaveholder that claims any property in slaves or holds them in involuntary servitude are the most obnoxious and dissolute robbers among men. Should the slaveholders say that they buy them, their title and claim is no better than that of the most notorious conniver who buys goods from other robbers, knowing them to be and accordingly gives an inferior price for them. According to the laws of England, when such connivers are discovered and the property of others are lawfully found in their possession, the rightful owners thereof can oblige connivers to restore back their property and to punish them for their trespass. 
Let the inhabitants of any civilized nation determine if they were to be treated in the same manner that the Africans are, by various pirates, kidnappers, and slaveholders, and their wives, and their sons and daughters, were to be robbed from them, or themselves violently taken away to a perpetual and intolerable slavery, whether they would not think those robbers who only took away their possessions less injurious to them than the other. The executors of the laws of civilization ought to tremble at the inconsistency of passing judgment upon those whose crimes, in many cases, are less than what the whole legislature must be guilty of, when those of a far greater crime are encouraged and supported wherever slavery is tolerated by law. Every man, as a rational creature, is responsible for his actions and he becomes not only guilty in doing evil himself but in letting others rob and oppress their fellow creatures with impunity or in not delivering the oppressed when he has it in his power to help them. And likewise, that nation which may be supposed to maintain a very considerable degree of civilization, justice and equity within its own jurisdiction is not in that case innocent while it beholds another nation or people carrying on persecution, oppression and slavery unless it remonstrates against that wickedness and makes use of every effort in its power to help the oppressed. For so, it ought to be the universal rule of duty to all men that fear God and keep his commandments, to do good to all men wherever he can, and when they find any wronged and injured by others, they should endeavour to deliver the ensnared. There's a war going on outside. There's a war going on outside. Nobody's safe from. But here in my arms, I'll keep you from harm. There's no guarantee tonight. That we will wake up when night hits the morning. And hear no alarm ring. You could count on one thing. Why Clef told me call 911. But who do you call when the ambulances don't come? Or watch as the one swarm by law to protect us. Wrongfully convict us and call it correction. Next, hit bail the banks out when we in recession and hang us in a jail cell so they can swing the elections. In Chicago streets where potholes is deep and tie holes creep like TLC. Hospital workers and scrubs with no PPE. But they got money for riot gear, man. We dying here, yet. You tell me not to move with my, but we got more funeral homes than schools where I'm from and on the news. All you view is homicides. Ain't no trauma units where y'all traumatized. Trying to get on your feet, playing the hand they dealt you. If your house is not a home, let this song be your shelter, shelter, shelter. I'll be your shelter, emergency. If your house is not a home, let this song be your shelter, shelter. The hundred bags under the underpass Rumbling stomachs, cups jingle when hummus pass Brisk when summer's done, winter is coming fast Then they Zoom teacher wonder why they don't come to class The internet been out 
Hot water been out. She moved to her aunt's house, then to her friend's couch. Abuser went to jail, but that been out. Abuser was in-house. Producer was in-house. Homeless in the home of the slaves. I wonder how that'll feel. The manifest the destiny a bunch of land they could steal. Think about Kenneth Walker, Philando Castile. How they only wanted to protect their family. And now it's out here to make it worse for they folks. It's a deeper out of hell for the worst of these folks. It's a mystery we never heard the murder she wrote. If we finally paid her back, the whole earth would be broke. I'll be your shelter. Emergency. Please count on me. Yeah. I'll be your superhero. When danger I write for my niggas doing life with no possibility of parole. You playing Fortnite, that's how long he's spending a whole lot from death row. Free my niggas, Julius Jones. I had a dream that when Mia was home, I speak freedom and song. Cause all I see is racist faces with hate lips and they kids in cages. What kind of nation? Lynch Elijah McClan and send us to the Middle East to die for they flag. They drive us insane to sell us medication. We demand reparations and they tell us have patience. Instead of cash payments, we get minimum wages. They give us the black plague and then send us a white savior. I found faith the day I lost hope. That's when Julius reminded me of a bar I once wrote behind bars on a yard where they dream of the street on death row singing, we could be free. We could be free. I'll be your shelter, emergency, please count on me, I'll be your superhero, dangerous, I'll be by your side, I'll be by your side, Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. 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 Ab